There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Welcome to Listen Now, the podcast where we go through the most important and rockinest albums of all time. This season, we're focusing on albums from the 1980s. I'm your host, Matt Stewart, and with me, as always, is my co-host and co-cousin, Sam Tonkin. Welcome, Sam. Welcome, Matt. It has been a while. It's been a, it's been a while. This good? is our third How attempt at, at recording this episode. Yeah, fingers crossed we actually figure this one out. The first one, my laptop decided 15 minutes in that it was time for an update. Thank you, MacBook, not sponsored. Uh, And the second time, we just couldn't. Just general uh, technical difficulties. And I can already feel tonight that you are on massive delay. So looking forward to the problems (laughs) that that is going to garner. Uh, this week Sweet. we're talking about, as the listeners know from the title of the podcast this week, we're talking about the Clash's mammoth hit album from 1982, Combat Rock. It was voted Combat. as the 14th most popular 80s rock album by our listeners. If you want to know nice. what the next album we're going to be talking about, uh, listen all the way through to the end after the theme music and uh, I'll let you know then. Now, Sam, what was your relationship with the Clash growing up? Um, well, as our uh, dear listeners know, I listened to a lot of Triple M throughout my childhood, and so the the big hits that were on Triple M are the ones that I knew, but that's kind of essentially it. I did go through the uh, early 2000s uh, emo phase, as so many of us did, uh, and thought that I was like an absolute ledge because I knew like four Clash songs, but never actually listened to an album through. Yeah, right. What were the four songs you knew? Um, uh, London Calling, Rock the Casbah, Should I Stay or Should I Go? And I think that was it. <laughs> <laughs> the four songs I knew were three coolest. songs. But yeah, that, <laughs> they probably are their big, big three, I guess. Uh, two I'd of which so. are on the album we're talking about today. So it's probably no real surprise that this was their biggest selling album. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, what about you? What was your what was your relation? Well, I think I was relatively similar. I knew those songs and maybe a few others as well. And I bought yep. sometime during my teens, I bought the singles collection, uh, which was a double. You do love a greatest hits. A, two, a double <laughs> double CD, which had you know uh, all those and, and heaps more. Um, but probably even before then, the first I I really knew of them was. It, not actually them. It was Mick Jones's band afterwards, uh, Big Audio Dynamite. When I was young, like in preschool or primary, maybe early primary school, but I think probably before primary school, uh, Big Audio Dynamite had a few hits. 
It was 90s, wasn't it? Yeah, was it 90s? Yeah, maybe it was the early 90s. The they 90s? started in the 80s and then had a, a few hits in the early 90s. So, I would have been in primary school mm-hmm. and um, one of them, in fact, even uh, samples a Clash song. He samples himself I on love that. the globe. Uh, I'm with- so good that I'm gonna I'm gonna sample myself. <laughs> yeah, sample a little bit of "Should I Stay or Should I Go." Uh, nice. Well, I can play that here now if you want to hear a little bit of it. Do you remember Big yeah. Audio Dynamite much? I think I remember what the songs are, but I didn't realize for a long time. Yes, absolutely, yes. That woo bit. Wow! That's just. Oh, I just tried that. It was not even close. <laughs> That's just one little bit at the start of "Should I Stay or Should I Go," which we'll hear later. But they repeat it throughout this song, and this was—I think this wasn't a big hit anywhere apart from maybe Australia and New Zealand. Uh, I will look that up. What's it called? The Globe. The Globe. Yeah, it's very ninety sounding. It's a lot of fun, real party oh, yeah. music, I reckon. Which I think yep. Mick Jones was maybe. Maybe that was his strong suit from The Clash. He'd write real danceable music. Yep. Uh, 1991 it was released. <laughs> yeah, it's funny to think of me as like a... Do what you like. A little kid bopping along to this. Yeah. Uh, so it was... And this was the follow-up in- single to Rush, which was a worldwide hit. Yes. The Globe came number eight for us. Right. But that was like in the high 70s for the Billboard 100. And then this one, I think, was, yeah, top 10 around the world. Um, and, you know, I think it holds up. I think it's still a banger. This is a cracking song. So, yeah, for quite a while, I thought, should I stay or should I go was a big audio dynamite song when I was a kid. Had it all yep. backwards. Because his voice and style so distinctive, I guess. You can... Yeah. Should I say or should I go fits in pretty well with these kind of sounds. I mean, it's not quite as 90s-ified, but... Mm. I also... I like how thick his accent remains yes. in this. Like, you know, a lot of times that people be from any part of the world and they just, for some reason, end up singing very American. Like, just a very generic American accent. Yeah, right. I think it... Yeah, yeah. singing often... Like, I guess it just smooths out any accents. So maybe it... Yeah, it's weird. It almost... You're, um, a lot of people become Unless you're walking neutral. 500 miles... And then you're walking so you can yeah. Or you're an Aussie hip hop artist or something. Or oh. you're allowed to Yeah, if hip hop I guess is, is one where accents remain stronger. Yeah. Um, skip skip hop in Australia. The drones, they're a band that really um, Gareth Lydiard doesn't let his accent go. You know much Love of the drones? That. I think I know maybe one song, but It'd be by sound, not by North American. Right. Oh, well, one of the, they've got a track that's one of the all-time great songs. I'll play a little bit of it now. We're getting sidetracked mm-hmm. so early. Uh, it's. I mean, am I surprised? I think we're just excited that we're actually... It looks like this episode <laughs> might actually happen this time. This is Shark Fin Blues. Oh, no, it's not. That is- <laughs> I was like, yeah, I do know that one. <laughs> uh, let me get to some... Vokes. I don't know what, but I see what you mean about the uh, 
for the accent. Yeah. I love his voice. This song is sick. And, and it builds and builds over like six minutes. Excellent. But we're not here to talk about uh, Australian music necessarily. There's wow. a, we should do an episode, a special episode about Aussie bands who maintain their accent. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm writing it down in my notes. My episode notes. Or maybe just, it doesn't have to be Australian, but just bands who yeah, maintain sing with an accent. Um, Love that. But. Yeah, we're here to talk about the clash. So I'm sorry for that early sidetrack. So on the um, on the greatest hits that I had, the singles album, it had so much good stuff, and it you can track in a band by their singles. It's not always that accurate, but I think you can really hear their sound evolve. Um, mm-hmm. In the sh- pretty short amount of time they were around, which you'll tell us about soon with, with their biography. But songs like your, um, you know White Riot. Yeah, was your best of chronological or just? I believe it was chronological. Yeah. Yeah, so that'd be a real good snapshot of development over time. Hey. Yeah, I think I prefer it when a greatest hits is chronological because I know yeah, it same. makes some sense to put it out like it's an album. So you want to you want to have a good opener to open, etc. Yep. But a uh, I think when it's a greatest hits, I'm happy to throw that out the window and just hear it chronologically. I agree. I think it's a good, I think it's a good like measure. It's a good, um, it's just a good way to learn about a band, especially if that's, you know, your intro. Yeah. I can skip through a few of these track pre, um, combat rock tracks. So White Riot, pretty early doors. That's just more of that classic punk sound. Yeah. This is like, this sounds like 1977 to me. Cause you know, I was there. <laughs> yeah. Does it take you back? <laughs> um, that's probably one of my favourites. I, I love um, Clash City Rock cracker. as well. I just love this simplicity of this riff. Is and sort of bouncy. I love it. Oh, I fought the law. That's the other one I know. There is oh, four. Yes. That is the, the I fought the law. I fought the law. Yeah, that's a, and that's a cover, but it's. I mean, it's one of those songs that it's like once they did it. I, I mean, maybe just to people of a certain age, but that feels like there's the definitive version. But maybe yeah, older there's people a few would songs around. Yeah, that are like others. that. The people are like this is a torn by Natalie Imbruglia cover. Oh <laughs> yeah, fact. Uh, Let that blew my tiny mind. So. Uh, Tommy Gunn's another cracker. These are all Joe Strummer and vocals. Sounds very of the era, and I like it. Yeah, it's a, it's a good era. Uh, then I, I well, you've got I fought the law, which you were talking about before. Which is a banger. Love those drums mm-hmm. and how it fades up. 
Yeah. Like a horse riding into town. Yeah, yes! I guess that's what I'm probably going for. Yeah, this is a fucking banger. Then you had London Calling, which is, I think it's often seen as sort of their masterpiece. Oh, I mean, there's... There'd be uh, that their, different that opinions That was their first it. album, wasn't it? Sorry? That was their first album? No. No, London Calling was their... I think it was their... That's the... That's that iconic cover. Yeah, it's that's got right. London and Calling. It was and, released is it... at the end of 79, so that's why it wasn't eligible for this show. Ah, so, I think it was... Uh, there was one more... Uh, uh, and then the one we're talking about. So it was a couple back from yeah, Combat Rock. But yeah, they'd already... I mean, you can hear this. Their sound's already developed quite a bit since the White Riot sort of stuff. Mm. I don't know how many of these older songs we're going to play. It's, we could probably go through some of these later. I don't know. I train in vain just to hear one of Mick Jones's other tracks. Yep. It's a really pop-rocky sort of song. You and you can you hear the stuff. difference in um, style between Joe Strummer and Mick Jones. Yeah. Yeah, this is a good, like... Anyway, uh, we can play. <laughs> we, we could go on. We could play other Clash songs all night long, but we're here to talk <laughs> about Combat Rock. Um, combat. So, did do you want to go through a bit of a bio? Because I mean, I know, I I know a fair bit, but I don't think I at all have an encyclopedic knowledge of the Clash. I've just learned, sort of oh. gleaned bits and pieces. I've gone along. I've never watched a doco or anything like that, which I. No. All of a sudden, I'm feeling a big appetite to go back and do that. I've watched a bunch appetite of for... early punk documentaries where they come up a lot, but none specific yeah, yep. to The Clash. Yeah, because everyone references, they're like, yeah, man, they were one of our inspirations. Yeah. Like, everybody of any sort of, like, punk, remotely punk kind of band is like Clash. I think there was an remotes. iconic show. I don't know if it was The Clash or the show The Clash went to. It was either... Oh, this is, I mean, why bring it up if you don't know the details? <laughs> but I think it was an early Clash show that, and they say that everyone in the audience that night formed a band the next day. <laughs> or was it the Ramones and that's where the Clash formed their band? Damn it. It's a good anecdote uh, if you remember it. It was. I think I talk about it oh, actually great. later. I'm well, pretty yeah. sure it's- Enough okay. of me oh, mumbling oh, about. Let's hear the bio. Let me let me not go on. Also, Matt's other podcast, do go on. Also, you can find it on podcasts and everywhere you find good podcasts. And if you can't find it, rethink your choices. Oh, jeez. Can Please I do voiceover work? Can that be my corona, like, side hustle? Voiceovers. Uh, you could, you could definitely try. Apps, probably. Anyone Hire listening me, who I, needs some? 
voiceovers done. Her. I mean, get in contact with Sam. She sounds like she's available. I, you know. Yep, that's accurate. Uh, so the Clash. Um, before the Clash actually came together, all of the members, or pretty much all the members, were part of were different parts of different bands that were kind of scattered around London mostly. That was like central. That was you know punk city. Um, old mate Joe Strummer sang and played rhythm guitar for the 101ers, which had formed in '74. Um. He originally started music uh, as a busker playing ukulele, which is not what I expected. <laughs> one of the most prominent frontmen in all of punk rock. Um, other other main guy, Mick Jones, was playing guitar as expected in a band called London SS, uh, who <laughs> rehearsed a lot, never played a live, live show, but did record a demo. Um, they were managed by Bernard or Bernard. How do you... Bernard Fanning, but I would read it as Bernard. It's like Jared or Gerard. How it's you... Bernard Fanning, isn't it? I thought it was Bernard Fanning. Uh, oh, no, it is Bernard Fanning. I think it depends on where you're from. I think uh, I've learned this recently that apparently elsewhere in the world, they say Gerard and we uh, we say Jared. So I'm, it's probably the well, same see, as that. The singer from My Chemical Romance, I read it as Jared Way, yeah. but people call him Gerard Well, Way. that's how I found I'm out like, because Gerard? on another podcast I do, Gerard Primates, uh, it's hey. been, this season's been about the Umbrella Academy, which he wrote. And I, oh, yeah, of course. I've been calling him Jared Way and a few people message in <laughs> saying it's actually Gerard. How do they spell that when they're trying to correct it? Uh, I think maybe they gave me some sort of phonetics or something to work with. Oh, good. It's like, do you capitalize? Anyway, I'm getting distracted ag- again. Um, but uh, 76 rolls around right before the absolute explosion of punk rock. Um, and London SS broke up. Uh, Bernard or Bernard, wherever you want to call him. I'm going to call him Bernie. Bernie remained uh, Mick Jones' manager. And later, uh, oh no, sorry, early in 76, Jones saw the Sex Pistols perform for the first time. And he's quoted as saying, you knew straight away that was it. And this was what it was going to be like from now on. It was a new scene, new values, so different from what had happened before, a bit dangerous. And he frothed it, absolutely loved it. Um, and then from Bernie, our mate, he, uh, Bernie got Mick Jones to contact, I can't remember what his first name is. I actually didn't write it down. But one of the members whose last name is Simonon. Paul. Not cin- not cinnamon not cinnamon Simonon, uh, who was a bassist, but he actually I don't think he actually played that instrument. Currently, he was told by Bernie to learn an instrument so he could then join this new band that Mick Jones was trying to form. Anyway, they got together. Um, they were still looking for a lead singer, uh, and Joe Strummer had been contacted. And only in the April previous, um, he had actually been watching so he he was having a show because he was you know living his best life and the sex pistols were opening um and he went and watched them pre his performance with his band uh the 101ers uh and he's he's quoted as saying as well he's like something's happening uh and he went out to have a look and pub rock he described it as hello you bunch of drunks i'm gonna play these boogies and i hope you like them (laughs) and then the sex pistols came out 
Uh, and he said their attitude was, here's our tunes and we couldn't give a flying fuck whether you like them or not. In fact, we're going to play them even if you fucking hate them. Um, and that was like it. Yeah, same same reaction as Mick Jones, light bulb moment. Like this is the new it. Um, and then it's funny, you know how we talked about um, Jimmy Barnes didn't like Don Walker at the start because he was like, he's a bit older, dresses a bit too nice. What's he got business in rock kind of thing. Uh, a few members of the band that had kind of gathered together had the same feeling about Strummer. Uh, and they saying, you know, he was 22 or 23 or something. And to them who are, I think, were like their late teens were like, this bloke's old. He's wearing retro clothes. He's got a croaky voice. I'm not about it. Uh, but then they heard him sing for the first time, you know, all together. And they're like, yes, yes, this is it. Yeah, right. Um, and then so that was, I think that was mid to late 76. They kind of all got together. 77 comes along, bang, explosion. Um, and Joe Strummer talks about, he, he got he got contacted a lot uh, about their signing of a big uh, CBS records. A contract, which was one of the big, big wigs in music back then, they signed it for a hundred thousand pounds, which at that time had had about thirty total gigs, nearly none as a headliner. Uh, and you know, as as the punk scene kind punk scene kind of seems to do, is tear each other apart from the inside. It's not so supportive I suppose you could say of those making it because as soon as you start making it you're called a sellout so he had to face a lot of um, interviews a lot of questioning about how he felt having sold out because they just signed a hundred grand and he's like mate I'm not going to turn into fucking Rod Stewart overnight just because I signed this contract like we're still making we're still making the music that we're about to make and now I'm just free to do it without having to worry about you know trying to pay for my rent tomorrow or, you know, my stomach hurts because I haven't eaten for four weeks kind of thing. Um, so that was a really, that was a really big turn um, in the scene, in punk history in general. Yeah. Uh, and then 79 rolls around and they released London Calling, which as we discussed was huge. Um, and it was really, it was really big for its time in terms of music history as well, because not only is it following up punk rock, which is, you know, still in its peak at this time, but it's a mix of punk rock, reggae, ska, rockabilly, traditional rock and roll, plus a whole bunch of different elements, which at that point in time had never been heard radio-wise before. Um, and the name, uh, I think it's London Calling, is actually heavily influenced by the BBC World Service call signal and the panic that resulted in the Three Mile Island <laughs> nuclear scare whatever that was. I probably should have researched that. Sorry about it. Um, but then, you know, they released another couple of albums in between and then comes Combat, Combat Rock, it was just which San, we were talking about today. Sandinista. Sandinista. So, yeah. was the, is that why <laughs> you didn't say what it was? So that was the album in between. Yes, it, yes it is. And that was a, yep. an even more ambitious album. It was a three disc. So Three-parter. London Calling was a double. Then they went to a triple. So I was yep. like, where can they go from here? And I think Sandinista was even more styles, uh, or at least as many, but I think even more. Broader. I think they even hit, hit some rap in there. And it's it's really all over the shop. And probably for that reason, it's, you know, quite inconsistent. But it's got big yep. hits in there as well. Hitsville UK, for instance. It seems to be like and the, Magnificent the 80s Seven. style 
is just like, you know what? I think we talked about it uh, previously. Like, let's put a different genre for every track of this album kind of music. Yeah. It- was it 20th Century from Cold Chisel? Straight up, there you go. Yeah, Cold Chisel did it. Uh, Huey Lewis of the News did it even when we, we heard it earlier in this season. <laughs> Every song on that was very different. I think, yeah, it was just a big thing in the 80s was to experiment with genres a lot um, in a way Why that- Why not? Maybe they don't do as much anymore or like the album might be experimenting with genres, but it's more likely to be a bit more consistent than they used to do, at least on the yeah. big albums, I think. They'll be more cohesive oh, than they used to be. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not officially um, a rock historian, so I can't say that for sure, but that's the vibe I get. We're working on it. We've <laughs> been trying to contact our mate Zup. I feel like what's up with Zup, he'd know about it, but he's still not replied to us. No. I've followed no. up. I've sent him. I've, I've added him. So now um, we've got- If someone knows what's happened to Zup, let's oh, know. Please. Uh, so we've got up to the big hit album, Combat Rock. So they're on a hot streak anyway. I mean, it's not like this yeah. is out of nowhere. This is just another hit album. Mm-hmm. Um, Why not, you know? Yeah. Um, and so the album came out. Uh, it was it was um, mostly well received. Uh, there were a, a, described as offbeat songs scattered throughout, experiments with sound collage, uh, and a spoken word vocal by beat poet Allen Ginsberg. You know, because again, why not? Why not? Uh, and then they've got their two radio friendly tracks: "Should I Stay or Should I Go" and "Rock the Casbah." Um, which has been described on my best mate Wikipedia as uh, lyrics addressing the Iranian clampdown on imports of Western music to a bouncy dance rhythm. Um, the char- the album itself charted number 32 in Australia uh, and number five in New Zealand, uh, came in number two in the UK and number seven in the US Billboard pop albums. Uh, and for anyone who's interested, number 12 in Canada, 29 in uh, Holland, uh, 7 in Norway, and 9 in Sweden. I nearly said Norwegia. Norwegia. Good old Norwegia. And I went double platinum in America, so that's a Large. big deal. Yep. Big album. Two, what is that? Two million sales. Yeah, wow. That's hectic. Or upwards of, I suppose. Uh, So... Um, before we get into playing the tracks, a good friend of the show, he's been a guest before, Dave Warnicky, who is, The Clash is one of his favorite bands. So I asked him if he'd be up for doing a little review of Is that Dave Warnicky, also of Do Go On Podcast, which you can find everywhere at Do Go On Pod? That's right. Yeah, it is that same guy. <laughs> Why are you plugging Do Go On so hard today? I, I don't know, because it's been, it's been easy so far. Set ups. Look, I, I got to tell you, I appreciate the support. Uh, That's so what we're here for. Are you up for hearing a little bit of what Dave has to say? Absolutely. Okay. I was I was a bit worried. I thought I should have brought this up earlier. <laughs> this is awkward. Um no. Okay, so here's let's throw it over to Dave Warnicky. Hey listen now, Dave Warnicky here demanding that you listen now to my voice as I talk. <laughs> Good shout out. Uh, thanks for asking me to talk about one of the best bands ever, The Clash. They are my mum's favourite band of all time, so I grew up listening to them. We've even got um, some home video of me dancing around to them and the Smiths as a three-year-old, so pretty cool kid. (laughs) But let's talk Combat Rock, considered by many of their fans to be their last album. Most people don't talk about the follow-up Cut the Crap, which is advice that the band seem to have ignored. 
Uh, Combat Rock is one for the ages and the last to feature the classic lineup. Now, all of the Clash albums open with an absolute banger and they continued the trend with Combat Rock. The opening track, Know Your Rights, starts with the line, This is a public service announcement, which is such a great line to start an album. And then they just don't stop from there. Side One, when it was released on record, features some of their biggest tracks. Many people will know them, even if they're not big Clash fans. Should I Stay or Should I Go, Straight to Hell, and Rock the Casbah. And also the bass player Paul busting out Red Angel Dragnet. Love that track. Love Paul. Hmm. Our side two opens with a song that for any other band would sound like a joke, overpowered by funk. But The Clash, they pull it off, baby. You know why? Enter the band's (laughs) secret weapon, the band's rhythm section. Paul Simonon is, in my opinion, one of the best bass players to ever play in a rock band. Such amazing groove. You can also hear him on every song. He's just, he's just always there. Sounds fantastic, but not too much. He's not really showing off. It just sounds awesome. You bring sort of that reggae vibe to a lot of songs that otherwise most bass players probably wouldn't have done that. Not bad for a guy that when he was recruited into the band, he couldn't even play bass guitar. So great stuff, Paul. <laughs> and then top of the drummer just never stops. Constant, truly a great drummer. I love the groove they have on track 11, also on the second side, Inoculated City. Great stuff, guys. Up there with the Beatles and Fleetwood Mac, The Clash have got to be one of the best bands with multiple vocalists. But unlike the Beatles and the Mac, the reason they rule isn't because they sound great together, but they all sound so different. We're not talking harmonies, we're talking very individual voices. Joe Strummer's out the front being all punk. Mick Jones has this awesome pop voice, which is so good to listen to. And Paul Simonon, again, I can't really describe it, but uh, (laughs) I love it. The Guns of Brixton, <laughs> fantastic stuff. I also love the collaboration of the band. Joe sang all the songs on the first uh, self-titled album. Then Mick wrote and sang just one song on the second album, a song called Stay Free, another great bass line, and it was my favourite song on that album. Then Paul wrote and sang only one song on London Calling, The Guns of Brixton, and it was the album's best song in my opinion again. And on this album, Top of the Drummer wrote the music for Rock the Casbah, and in my opinion, that's the album's best song. An endearing classic. They just share it round and uh, they pull the songs back together and they just sound awesome. And speaking of Rock the Casbah, I'm not alone on thinking that that is a great, great track. Uh, One time a few years back, I was hosting a trivia night for a father-daughter school camp. And yep, that's a weird event to host, but I was there. Uh, The idea was to have some some questions for the kids, mostly One Direction at the time, and some questions for the dads, which is mostly about uh, footy at the time. Then afterwards, I was paid to play music for an hour. So I alternated between One Direction and other stuff and I chucked on Rock the Casbah for the dads and a really drunk dad got up and started dancing on a table. He was the only one dancing and then he yelled out at the top of his lungs, best song of the 80s, yeah! Then he fell off the table. Yes. But you know what, drunk man? I agree with you. There's a reason The Clash have been called the only band that matters. Combat Rock was the last proper album from that band. Absolutely good stuff. Five out of five. Thanks, Matt and Sam. Love your work. Oh, cheers, Dave. It's a great Legend. review. That was an excellent review. That is a weird gig to be hosting and playing music at, but on your dad for having a little tabletop dance, good for you. Yeah. Live your life. Totally. <laughs> I feel like I want to play a little bit of The Guns of Brixton because it does sound like that's one of Dave's favourite tunes. Uh, so What album? What album did he say it was on london calling so here's a bit of it oh some dirty bass 
do doby. Oj, she's funky. Such a good tune. Such a good tune. I'm a yeah. I'm a Buddhist. So that one was one of Paul Simonon's tracks. And I think that's him on Simonon. vocals as well, like Dave was saying. Oh, is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's it's pro- he's is probably closer to Strummer's vocal, but not really. Yeah, I reckon. Got, Mick the, Jones yeah, is so singular. A, no one sounds like him. It is. It is. Whereas, it's very un- unique. Yeah. Um, Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yes. Okay. So, shall we get into the tracks? Let's delve. So the album opens up, like Dave was saying, with an absolute banger. Know your rights. This is a public service announcement with guitar. I love that smashing sound in the background. Yeah. What is? Just sounds like someone absolute slamming at a guitar. Yeah. So I'd say this is the punkest song, like cl- most classically punk song on the album. Yeah. Do you know? Because we've we've tried to record this episode a few times as we we've never earlier. got this far into it. Um, this is very exciting. No, this is <laughs> fingers crossed. Don't jinx it. Touching wood. Um. Oh yeah. So the first time I listened to this, I was a bit. Mm, like, didn't know how I felt about it as a as an opener. And the more I listen to it, the more I'm like, yo, this is nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a... I mean, like a lot of this stuff, it's very political. Yeah, which, you know... It talks about... Exercise your political beliefs. Why not? It talks about knowing your rights, all three of them. And then it sort of undercuts all yeah, of them. At least three. Uh, <laughs> you, you're not allowed to kill unless you're a cop or an aristocrat. Stuff like that. It's real cutting, uh, real yeah. cutting political commentary. What year did we say this was released? 85? 82. Why did I get 85? Didn't they break up in 85? 86. So, I mean, all good stuff. All good, helpful stuff there, Sam. Thank you so much. This next. Yep. That's, uh, that's my job on the. Yeah, on you're, the you're the one meant to be bringing the info. I'm bringing the charisma. Charisma. <laughs> no, I think you were right the first time. Um, so, the next track, big. Vibe Matthew. change for car jamming. Mm-hmm. 
Is it the floor toms? Yeah, I guess so. It's a bit George of the Jungle, isn't it? <laughs> they were, they were highly influenced by George's work. <laughs> he was big in the 70s. Love that. So the those first two tracks are strummer on lead vocals, and then track three yep. we move over to the first big hit of the album. Uh, should I stay or should I go with Mick Jones? Which is just a fucking cracking, a cracking song, tune. isn't it? Which would obviously go on to influence and uh, inspire the cracking Big Audio Dynamite song, <laughs> The Globe. Globe. I mean, all these little choices they make with the songs, in and out of them, are so mm -hmm. much fun. They, they seem to like to play in the studio a little bit. Yeah. It's got an old school rock vibe, somehow, as well. Is it the is it the speed? Yeah, I, I don't guess know. So, I know yeah. what you mean. But then here we are, we're just joking. It'll it'll kick in and then we're like actually we're we're back in 70, 80, whatever. 82. One day is fine and next is black. So if you want me your It does it sounds like a slowed down Chuck Berry riff or something. Oh what a call. I have no idea what I'm talking about. And then track four, like the hits don't stop there because track number four is another hit and it is what Dave oh. called the best track on the album and so did that drunk man at the party. Not best track of the album, best track of the 80s. Best track of the 80s. Yeah, and it's an and absolute little... boogie. So this bad boy here was, as you mentioned, written by uh, Topper, the drummer, and he just found himself one day in the studio alone. So he pretty much put all of this together after playing around with a piano riff, which obviously turned into this. Um, and he put it to the band. Band absolute loved it, except Joe Strummer looked at the lyrics that he'd written, which was some sappy "I miss my girlfriend" shit. <laughs> And uh, Joe Strummer picked it up. He's like, well, that's interesting. Threw, screw it up and ball and chucked it in the bin. Huh. Uh, and then he went to the bathroom in the recording studio and wrote some new lyrics with some quotes that he'd been thinking with, which uh, Rock, Rock the Casbah was one of. And now we're here. Yeah, right. So it sounds like he was a bit of a jerk there, but... I mean, it's punk, man. Oh, oh sorry. He's it. a bit punk. <laughs> That was punk as fuck, <laughs> what he just did. Excuse me, I would just like to be a bit punk for a hot sec. 
and uh, fuck your lyrics. Uh, so the next next track, and this is like that holds up. Rock the Casbah, like you said, it was that was a song that crossed over into y- yep. y- you knew it from. It was one of the four that sort of the big four that have probably crossed over to most people. Who were yeah, I, I'd be shocked if I met someone who hadn't heard that. Before. Yeah, I think it's just one of those songs that people. Didn't yeah, know. as time goes on, I'm, you know, I'm getting less shocked when people don't know old songs. It's because people are, you know, you meet someone <laughs> now who's 18. It's like they were born in 2002. Oh, no, Why would they know that? But my my younger siblings, who are only five years younger than me, didn't know what Bob was <laughs> until five years ago, and the shame that I felt. That they didn't know it. That was my first crush. Yeah, my first crush was the drummer who was ten and I was five, so clearly he was way too old yeah. for me. But they didn't know what Mbop was. Also, thinking of you, uh, cracking song from their first album. If anyone's interested you have, in since first You have album. a real weird uh, back catalogue of tunes that you, you like, find influential. I like to think of it as eclectic. eclectic. Uh, uh, different, different. It's nice. Different. So there's two more tracks on side one. This one, I think this one's, because well, I didn't know this song before. Listen, I'd never listened to this album before the last month or so, and I've been playing it quite a yep. bit. And I reckon this is one yep. of the ones that has really stood out to me from the ones I didn't know. I knew, yep. no, you're right. So I knew, should I say, should I go? I knew Rock the Casbah. I knew Straight to Hell, and I didn't know any other ones. And I reckon this one was a bit of a standout from that. And it's got um, Paul Simonon on lead vocals. This is his first appearance on the lead vocals. And maybe even only on this album. And you can tell, yeah, it changes the vibe a little bit, but it's it's a cool song. It's called Red Angel Dragnet. It's got a bit of blondie about it, I reckon, this intro. I love that. A long way away. I love that quote. I wrote that down because I liked it so much. Which line? Something about that's the reason that no one ever pointed a telescope at the sun. Yeah, I think it's another cracking tune, that one. Uh, the next one, track six, Straight to Hell. It's one of their, another one of their songs that's seen by a lot of people as their masterpiece, one of their great tracks. Um, do, I imagine you've got some stuff to talk about this before we play it, Sam. Which one? Straight to Hell? Yeah. Um, I do, actually. And the first time I heard this, which was only about a month ago, uh, realized that it had been used heavily in a sample uh, for a song that probably a lot of people will know, even if they were born after the year 2000, um, <laughs> that I didn't actually realize uh, was a sample. And I'm just going to leave it at that, and hopefully you can hit the old play oh, button. Oh, yeah, just play yeah. it. All right, so here is track six, Straight to Hell, closing outside one. I fly like paper, get high like planes. If you don't know that, 
well. So the the sample you're talking about is MIA's paper planes. Uh, paper planes. It was a big big hit, and it was on the Pineapple Express soundtrack. Yes, that's yes, that's where it really uh, blew up. I think. But yeah, this is a just a real. It's a real low-key banger. So, uh, this is what Joe Strummer said about this song. He said, uh, I'd written the lyric, staying up all night. Uh, I went down to Electric Lady, and I just put the vocal down on tape. We finished about 20 to midnight. We took the E-train from the village to up to Times Square. I'll never forget coming out of the subway exit just before midnight into a hundred billion people, and I knew we had just done something really great. Nice. <laughs> Just a casual hundred billion. <laughs> Approx. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great tune. It's a fun um, one. I um first listen, I was mostly just focused on the clip that MIA had sampled. Um, but the more I listen to it, it's just it's such a mood, uh, and I just yeah. I really will happily listen to that a lot. I think going forward. Oh, it's, a, it's it's an all timer for sure. It's uh, great. Apparently. Uh, this is what Topper said about the drum beat. He said, you couldn't play rock and roll to it. Basically, it's a bossa nova. Um, Joe Strummer has said, just before the take, Topper said to me, I want you to play this. And he handed me an R. White's lemonade bottle in a towel. He said, I want you to beat the bass drum with it. That's how they got part of that sound. What? It's a bottle in a towel hitting the drum. Okay. Oh, that's why it's such a muffled sound. That makes sense. Genius. So that's that's the end of side one, which is something that used to matter when it outsold, which apparently it is again. Outsold CDs for the first time since 1987, I think. Uh, Vinyl did, which is lovely. We love that. You've just got yourself a nice vinyl player, I believe. Yeah, you you believe you. You recommended and helped. That is also accurate. Also, fun fact: plural of vinyl is vinyl, uh, which my old manager, who used to rock double denim and a very, very, very stiff Malay, um, used to write into head office when they would post uh, vinyls sale uh, on our intranet. So he'd write in and be like, "It's vinyl. Full stop. That was it." Uh, I love I love people who get hung up on important stuff. It's, like that. I mean, he was he was not about it. Plural is vinyl, and that is that. There is no other answer. Shout out to Mills, who definitely won't be listening yeah. to this because he just you know reasons. Yep. Fair enough. Okay, he's dead. All <laughs> right, so let's go on to side two. It opens up. And Dave mentioned this song as well. He said it works. I don't... I'm a bit of a jury's out kind of guy on this one. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, it's called Overpowered by Funk. And uh, I guess it is what it says it is. I am... 
I just laughed because I reread my notes from listening to the for the first time. And I just wrote Disco Remnants. <laughs> but is it Remnants? Because this is in well, 80s. When was Disco? Wasn't Disco 70s as well, though? Oh, maybe. But, I mean, this isn't Disco. This is funk. I feel... I don't know. They got they got similar similar origins. They must, yeah, they must have there, some... You know. Yeah. There's something there, um, right? There's some sort of... The other note I did write against this was cowbell. <laughs> I think it comes in like, closer to the chorus. There it is in the background. And then... So, at the end, Fitura 2000... Uh, does a bit of a, an outro rap here. Let's see if I can find it on the skip. Isn't this... What's that Blondie song where it ends up just being Debbie Harry just, like, talking towards the end of the track? I don't know, but let's listen to this Clash song that we're playing. <laughs> I can only like things if I relate them to previous knowledge, Matt. You know this. So, yeah, that was Fitura 2000 you were just talking over about Blondie for some reason. Um... <laughs> <laughs> So you, you're into that? I, it I, definitely is. A, it's a good party tune, but it's one that it's just like on this album, it sticks out like a sore thumb Not contextually. I don't like it contextually, but as a standalone, I dig it. Yeah, but it's also weird because, I mean, every song on this sticks out. Like, it's not like they're all running smoothly yeah. one to the next. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know why that one stood out even more than the others to me. Maybe it's because it was, sounded a bit like a Blondie song. You Maybe. Heard. that. I mean, that could be... <laughs> <laughs> that <could be> the- <laughs> maybe that's all it was. My, uh, my uh, ability to recall that- things is absolutely shitful. Uh, one day, I one do- day you guys might get a fact out of me. <laughs> <laughs> the um the back so the side two of this album uh, after overpowered by funk. I do feel it's one of those ones that sort of just sort of flows over me, and I I had to keep going. Wait, I got to concentrate again because I just. I missed these. These just sort of ran on. <laughs> and then I went, what was it again? I think I like all the songs individually, yep. but unlike the first one, that for some reason, just in my head, they're not as memorable. Yep. Uh, but And then I'll listen back to them and, and concentrate hard, and I'm like, no, these are good songs. I don't know why that is. Uh, anyway, his track uh, eight, it's called Atom Tan. And this has got Jones back on some vocals. Well, it's Jones and Strummer, obviously. You know what this sounds like? Nothing, I'm just joking. I like this song. I love double vocals. Can we do an episode about double vocals? That's a good one. Because it's so random, but I'm just, I love it. It just adds like a thickness to to the music. Well, especially when it's jumping backwards and forwards like this. <laughs> Remix. Yeah, so I, I like this. this one. This is great. It's weird, their vocals are so similar but so different at the same time. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? 
Um, like I, until we listened to this album for this, literally this episode, I thought Joe Strummer sang all of it. So I didn't realize there was two different ah. vocalists until I was researching. Um, and then it's interesting. It's like it's sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's not obvious for me. And because I'm, I would yeah. still call myself a relatively new beginner to it all. But it's yeah, it's just it's interesting how uh, obviously different, but then when you hear them separately, you're. I, I find myself still second guessing who's singing it. It's weird. Oh, gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. I know that. I know that feeling when when you're sort of sliding into something new, or not new, but um, getting into a deeper for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. From the outside, things you see the similarities, and then the more you get into something, it's like a genre of music or anything or a band. Yeah. Then you start picking up the subtleties yep. as you go along. Yep, 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 yep. Um, uh, another good one coming up, Sean Flynn. It's track nine. What's that? It's a bit of flute or something similar. <laughs> You're going to hate me for saying this. <laughs> but do you know what this reminds me of? <laughs> <laughs> What's that? I wondered if like... Jethro Tull. No. Jethro Tull. Feels like... It, it just feels like it's a it's sunshine. There's a waterfall. Oh, it does. <laughs> it totally does. To me, it feels like some, it's real idyllic sounding. I was wondering if, like, Mighty Boosh had been inspired by this because this was, like, super boosh. I would not be surprised if... if das yeah, Boosh. Yeah, they were into a bit of this. You know what I will say about this whole album, though? So, like, my familiarity with The Clash was obviously not very deep, as we talked about earlier. So this album only being released, what, five years after 77, a.k.a. The Year of Punk, um, I was genuinely shocked at how um, broad the mix of genres were. Uh, and yeah, how big, how quick their evolution yeah, was. Yeah, it, it really, that's something that genuinely stood out to me and I was a bit like jaw on the floor type of things hearing songs like this from you know like iconic punk punk band The Clash yeah because um, then you're like you compare to the the Ramones or something you never really no, they, well, as far as I, I mean, know they never really yeah, to the to the best of my knowledge they had a they had a set sound and they stuck to it they knew what worked and they went with it but um yeah it, it really something that I did not expect from theirs at all like most albums that we've listened to so far, uh, I've known of them and therefore had a bit of an idea of what it was going to be like, and this totally blew that open for me. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. So you 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 didn't you were thinking it was all going to be that sort of seventy seven yeah, well, sound. Yeah, like the um, even white... though you knew some of those big yeah good pop yeah. Hits, like... I was like, yeah, because because um you know same with some of the chisel songs that we didn't realize were so far apart chronologically or like album wise. I thought that that yeah. was all early and they were just like, we'll chuck some slow ones in there just for shits and geeks kind of thing. Right. I didn't realize it was um, such a development in their sound. Um, so that that was, I thought, a really, really interesting part of listening this week, this three weeks, whatever it's been. <laughs> it's been a while. Sorry for the yeah. wait, everyone. We got here. Well, I think it was sort of like what Dave was saying about having the different voices in the band, yeah. but they also all really wear their own influences on their sleeves so that and i think that's sort of what broke the band up they were 
They were pulling in different directions a little bit. Yeah, I think Mick Jones um, wanted to get a bit more experimental and broaden their horizons, and I think uh, maybe Joe Strummer and a couple of others were kind of wanting to stick with, like, their sound idea. But I think also, like, I mean, Strummer was the one who wrote Overpowered by Funk, and he was... Oh, yeah. He was going down um, his own different path. He so was going down a funky, I just funky think track. They... Yeah, the thing that made them great with all these different ideas ended up being the thing that broke them apart because they just, I guess, that yeah, they just weren't able to compromise with each other. Yep. Um, and that's why after this album, after this album, Mick Jones leaves. Um, and before the next album comes out, uh, so does uh, Topper. Or Topper's kicked out first and then Mick Jones leaves. Yeah. They kicked him out because his, uh, his heroin addiction had hit over 100 quid a day. Uh, heroin and uh, cocaine addiction. And it was starting to damage, or it was obviously, damaging his health and then was affecting his drumming. And they were like, you know, we're punk rock, man, but health is important. And we, we support that here at, <laughs> at Listen Now. Health is important. I think the diff- when you've got multiple um, creative forces in a band, mm-hmm. you'll and they're pulling in different directions. That's when they break out. I think the bands that last the journey, they've either got one um, team, like a, you know, a, a writing duo that can work together and and have their jobs. One does lyrics, one does music, or something like yep, that. Don and uh, but they're, Don and they're able to Don stay on Don. the same page. Yeah, yes, and that's what's important. Whereas other bands and Chisel are an example of this, where they'll uh, there's multiple creative forces in the band. Yep, and as the others gain more confidence, um, that's when tensions arise. Yep. Often bands will start with one main creative force, like Strummer in the Clash or Don Walker in Cold Chisel. Mm-hmm. But over time, think yeah. People get confident. I mean, it would they be wanna... hard. It'd be a hard thing to do. Yeah, like I want to put my opinion forward, and everyone else is like, "Mom, it's been five albums. Like, why, why now?" And then it's just everyone's like, "You know what? I've got, I got shit I want to do. Sorry about it. Got to go." GTG. Bye. Yeah. Anyway, we, let's finish this album <laughs> off. We've got yeah. three tracks to go. Uh, the next one's track ten, "Ghetto Defendant." And this is the one that you mentioned earlier, which has Allen Ginsberg on yeah. it, a famous beat, beat poet. poet. Again, a song that sounds nothing like anything else on the no, album. No, not at all. That'll happen when you chuck a, a beat, beat poet, poet onto it. Also, what a voice. Hmm. of Metropolis. Do the worm on Acropolis. Slam dance cosmopolis. Enlighten When the was beat poetry? What what defines a beat poet? Oh here you go. The Beat Generation was a literary movement started by a group of authors whose work explored and influenced American culture and politics in the post-war era. The bulk of their work was published and popularised through the 1950s, Uh, including Allen Ginsberg's How, which was 1956. And then the Jack Kerouac um, On the the Road road was another big one. Interesting. That must have been in the 50s too, was it? 
57 that was released, and William S. Burroughs' Naked Lunch in 59. I think it was the, like, the... I was reading, a, I think, Leonard Cohen's a biography about him recently, and they were mentioning that, that the, the rock stars sort of took over from the beat poets as the... Oh, as that's the, cool. The big star, cool... The cool scene, maybe? Yeah, so the origin of the name actually dates all the way back to 1948, which was introduced by Jack Kerouac. Characterizes a perceived underground anti-conformist youth movement in New York. That's cool. I'm learning a lot more today than I thought I would. <laughs> um, the Beats. All right. Wait, before we continue, sorry. Real quick, real quick, real quick. The Beats had a pervasive influence on rock and roll and popular music, including the Beatles, Bob Dylan, and Jim Morrison. Hugely named right. as. But please continue. Yeah. To Inoculated City. Yeah, so this was a one that Dave um, name checked as well in his review. Yeah. Said. And I think he's, he's told me before that this was one of his favorite Clash songs growing up as well, Excellent. Inoculated City. Imagine being a kid and you're like, what's your favorite song right now? Inoculated City by The Clash. I'd be like, it's The Wiggles, Big Red Car. <laughs> <laughs> Another one with the dueling vocals. And she's a little bit funky as well. Yeah, I think Dave, because Dave's a bass player, I think that's that maybe influences so his sense. taste a little bit. Yes. When I said dueling vocals, it's not really dueling, is it? They're one on top of the other. Yeah, but that's that's when we were talking about dual vocal songs earlier. This is actually what I meant specifically. Right. Um, one of the bands I popped up in one of my one of our weeks off, uh, Robots in Disguise, which is funnily enough related back to Mighty Boosh. If you saw the post, you saw the post. You know what I mean. Um, and the whole, the whole, uh, all of their music actually. I think it's four albums. It's both lead singers singing at the same time, but they've got different vocal styles. But it works somehow, and I just think it's super interesting. I'm all about it. Love some yeah, dual cool. vocals. Dual, yeah, dual that, or I mean, dueling. Yeah, either or. Yeah, so that layered idea. Yeah, I just think it's cool. Harmonizing and whatnot. Yeah, you like the Beatles? They did a bit of that. Oh, uh, I don't know if I've heard of them. Should we should we do an episode about them? Do you reckon we could do an episode, or is that not enough? I did have enough. a thought at some point that we <laughs> they'd be, they would be a pretty great band to do a a full back catalogue show that on because they no, talk about a band hectic. developing and oh my god uh, yes oh my god developing yes. a sound and they don't have too many albums. I mean, they have quite a few, but because they were only around for ten years, they don't have as many as other bands. Which is also a wild idea. Like people. As a general rule, I think Elvis Presley and the Beatles are quoted as probably two of the biggest influences on rock music ever. And, yeah, the fact that they're only together for 10 years or around for 10 years, whatever. Like, Yeah, I think they were releasing music for 10 years. Maybe they were together a little bit longer than that. Yeah, insane, hey. uh, Don't don't tweet me. Don't at me. Don't, Um, Don't at me. If I'm incorrect. So then the album finishes off with a, a real slow one called Death is a Star. Uh, here it is. I'm guessing this is your least favourite 
on the album? Uh, I didn't dislike this. This put me in like, because I like to listen to these albums because I don't think there's any that we've got on this list that I've ever heard the full way through bar maybe one or two. So I like to listen to yeah. it completely without distraction uh, for the first time and it can really like get me into a mindset. And this was very much like I'm sitting in a lounge, like a dive bar type thing. And they're just like, that's the kind of music you're hearing. You're sitting on like red velvet. There's not a whole lot of light going on. I'm probably drinking a whiskey, that kind of vibe. That's what I... That's, yeah, right. That's I literally... That's how I felt. That's what I wrote down when I listened to it. So that... I probably never explained that before. I When I listen to these albums for the first time... I am... Um, sorry, I'm talking over the music too much. Um, but when I listen to these albums for the first time, I write down my immediate thoughts. And then... Yeah. The more I listen to it, the more that that thought evolves, and sometimes it changes 160, but that was very much, that was like, I'm in a dive bar type thing, but like in a good way, which is That's funny. That's actually really deep. Thank you. I, I'm a deep person with <laughs> a lot of deep thoughts and feelings and emotions. I reckon I... Um, uh, yeah, I got a different vibe. I love. I want to be in that dive bar. Sounds cool. Hey, love song, some red velvet. I feel like I'm lying back and Joe Strummer's in the corner just singing me to sleep. Like in a, like in a creepy way or a nice way? No, in a nice way. Oh, that's Feels nice. like he's my dad or something. Sounds like it's. It almost sounds like he's telling a a fairy tale story or something. Even Thanks. though I. Don't think I've ever taken in the lyrics, so I'm not really sure no. what it's about. I'm sure it's about how the world's fucked, though. Probably. I mean, probably. Did I talk too much over it? Do we need to play a little bit more of it, or...? I, no, I think... I oh, know people can find it if they want to hear more of it. That's fair. Google it. Um... Uh, but yeah, that's, uh... That is Combat Rock by So that's the, the album. Yeah. It's, what are we doing what do we do next? Reckon? Do we do we rate it out of eighty? Rate rate Unless you've got any fun facts, this is where you've been doing some fun facts oh, when yeah. you've had them. Um, I've got a couple of little random ones. So Joe Strummer's real name is actually John Graham Meller, which right. I realize, you know, when you think Joe Strummer, you're like, wow, that's a great name for a musician. You're like, mm, surely it's too good to be true, and in fact, it is. Um, his dad was, uh, I think in the army or something. So, um, Joe Strummer was actually born in Turkey, uh, and grew up, moved back to England when he was like eight or nine, I think nine. Uh, he got sent to boarding school with his uh, brother who was 10. And he said that he basically saw his parents once a year for a long, long time after that. Um, Described the very expensive school that they got sent to because he was uh, a foreign service son of. Uh, that he, it was a thick school. Uh, it was a school where thick, rich people sent their thick, rich kids. Uh, but he didn't have to deal with any of that because he was, you know, none of the uh, bills were paid for by his family, which was apparently a good thing. Um, he used to be called Woody. Um, after Woody Guthrie because his uh because of his love of rock and roll music, um, and he has he was a vegetarian from 1971 until he died suddenly of a um undiagnosed heart condition at the age of 50, which I think was 2000 and 
yeah, December 2002, he died. 2002, yeah, he's, right. He's only I 50, he- though, which is pretty sad, I reckon. That's, that's pretty bloody young. Once upon a time, I probably would have said that's pretty bloody old, but nowadays... I'm closer to 50 than I am uh, zero, so that's, you know, it's not that old anymore. <laughs> yeah, do you have any other other fun facts? I did find uh, about Death as a Star. Uh, this is off songfacts.com. It says, singer Joe Strummer wrote the song and explained in an interview with Roz Rains in 1982 that the song is about violence in films and the public's desire to see executions, oh. be that literally or in terms of a career. It's about the way we all queue up at the cinema to see someone get killed. These days, the public execution is the celluloid execution. I was examining why I want to go and see these movies, he said. An interesting idea is sort of saying like, you know, the old school, people used to go and watch people get murdered by the state. And now we're sort of filling that void with going to see movies like that, which is an interesting idea. That's kind of fucked up. Well, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the difference is we know this isn't real. Yeah, that's true. It feels like a pretty big difference. Is that like a big, is that a whole like human issue of um, tall poppy syndrome? We just like to see people cut down, whether it be figuratively or literally. You know what I mean? Like that's a big. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that's why people like to go into executions. But I mean, that's... I've never really thought about it too much. That's hard. Um, other fun facts. Mick's grandma used to rock up to Clash gigs, which I think is pretty cool. Imagine that's cool. being like, all right, we're here to fuck everyone up tonight. G'day, Nan. And hey, Nan, Nan. Nan's hanging out the back like, fuck yeah. What a ledge. I don't know. I just reckon that's cool. Anyway. Uh- that's cool. I like it a lot. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> I think more nanas should go to more punk shows. Why not? If you're a nan and you go to punk shows, let us know, because that's cool. Well, not this year in Australia with uh, Corona. <laughs> Never mind. I'm not going to say the full name because uh, Voldemort. So what? Um, I don't know. I missed all that Voldemort. I just heard you doing a Harry Potter thing at the end of that's it. Fine. So I assume it was something pretty cool. The people, uh, the people that know will know. They will know. So. So, uh, we normally have been giving the albums a rating out of 80. Rating out of 80. 80? Yeah. We're still working on that. And you tease me for giving all the albums a positive score because I'm a positive guy. Yep. But I'm actually really a positive guy. But I, (laughs) I, again, you're going to hate it, but I love this album. Once again, it was a journey, which I enjoyed. It It was a real journey. I wish I, because I, I can't remember any of the other scores I've given, and they're all sort of they were, really just, they were mostly you know, above. You're 60. pulling numbers out of thin yeah. air, really. So I'd need to see some of those old numbers to really be able to give this a proper score. But gut feel, I'd say this is like a sixty-nine. Nice. Thank you. Uh, nice, nice. Um, I enjoyed this album. More than I thought after my first listen. When I first listened to it, I was like, oh, no, this is this is not what I expected. Uh, my mind was blown a little bit. Uh, and I am going to give it a 65. It's definitely something I'll listen to it again. Uh, I'm not going to put it into heavy rotation, but um, I really enjoyed it. It was different. Um, there's a few songs that I'll absolutely give another listen to 
more than once. Yeah, even. should we talk about our our standout tracks or something? We yeah, we always do that. Um, we I, used to. I actually don't know. I don't think we have for this, but I'm happy to start now. Why are the bloody hell not? You know. So the obvious ones, the ones that I knew coming in, mm-hmm. are all great. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. Should I stay or should I go rock the Casbah yep. and straight to hell? Yep. Um, but then other new ones that I found that I really liked include, I think I mentioned this before, Red Angel Dragnet. Yeah, I'd be same, I reckon. Uh, yep. I really liked Adam Tan. Yes, that was yeah. actually, I wrote Enjoy next to yeah. after the first listen. So, And that's only gotten stronger, which is lovely. Thank you, Adam Tan. And yeah, maybe Inoculated City as well. But I, yeah, I, I didn't, I, I didn't really dislike any of the songs on the album. Overpowered by Funk was the hardest work for me. It was different. It was different for sure. Um, but it was. I mean, it's fun. It's uh, you can't fault that. It is. Funk, it's, it's funk as is a fun. standalone. As a standalone, it's uh, it's a it's a bop. It's an absolute yeah. bop. Um, and it's funny you said that you thought I hated Death Is a Star, but that set such a proper mood for me for the first listen that I'm going to put that up there for me as well. Yeah, I I really like that track as well. It and yeah, cool. I think I think just listening to it again, I do f- feel like uh, yeah, I definitely see the dive bar angle as well. Yeah, I know. Vibes. Yeah. Something about the the music there, right? Yeah. Yeah, the music definitely played into it, that's for sure. It's late night. Yep. Late late night. Yeah. You reckon the music was important in that song? Um yeah, it, you know, as well it, as it, obviously the lyrics and the, and well, the singing. They're I mean, the big it, three for me. It obviously played a it, it played a part in uh, how I viewed the music. Um, the music played a part in how you viewed the music? Yeah, like... I, mm, controversial, but okay. Uh, you know, unpopular opinion. But um, yeah, the music really played a part in the music for me. So um, yeah. that's how I felt about the music. Uh, I, in can the music. See, I can see that, yeah. 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 Uh, are there any letters coming in in the letter bag mm. to Alan? We have got a couple of letters. One of them uh, is a nice, short and sharp. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, this is from Andrea Mills, who's actually a maid of mine. Um, thank you for listening, Andrea, who I call Six Pack, because one time she got drunk off a six pack of cider, and I've never let her forget that. Uh, and now people think she just has a six pack, which... Is maybe true. I don't know. Um, anyway, Six Pack says, hey, guys, loving your work. A dire straits fanatic should be known as a diabetic. You're uh, welcome, Sam. Six Pack. Um, terrible. Hey, that would be confusing. Probably accurate. You know, like if um, if you're like, hey, you're, you're meeting up with some of your other dire straits fans, you're like, hey, where are my diabetics at? And, Some um, people are waving in their insulin in the air like yeah, they just don't care, and might, other people are just confused. the sultans of swing. Yeah. Some have got little bags of jelly beans. Yep. Others are dads. <laughs> Some are both. Some are both, and they were the ones that confused. <laughs> They're the most confused of all of them. <laughs> yeah. Jelly bean dads. Jelly bean dads. Just like old mate who fell off his table because he was so excited about the clash. Dad, put the the dad put down is such a hack put down. By the way, I'm not trying to put you him know. down. It's just accurate. No, no, I I, um, I said that. Wow, Matt, do you have a thing against dads? Is that what you're saying? No, my dad's a dad. <laughs> I know a dad, at least one. 
Uh, our other uh, email in the bag today is from Marion. Uh, hey guys, I love the pod. Just listen to the Brothers in Arms episode. Fantastic. Thank you, Marion. Uh, I live in Delaware. Hi. I'm in. I'm from Delaware. Delaware. <laughs> uh, and grew up in did the 80s. Did she say that in the email or did you? No, just that's add just that how in? I read it in my brain. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's such a. It's For a long time, all I knew about Delaware was that Wayne's World sketch. That's still all I know about Delaware and that Marion is from there. I was watching this show on TV and it was like. Tell um, me more, be- Sam. Give me more detail to that fact. It was beach. It was like people trying to find beach homes and they were in Delaware and it was just these perfect beaches. I'm what? like, Delaware's like beautiful beaches? I, unfamiliar. I'm going to Google the shit out of Google it's a, Maps. It's, hmm. it's on the sort of northeast coast, like a couple of states down from New York. Yes. I'm picturing it with the the U shape and then the Wang. Florida, yeah, whatever it's called. That's uh, absolutely blown my mind. But anyway, Delaware is some, some little corner of paradise, apparently. That's amazing. I'm absolutely going to spend some time on Google Maps uh, satellite view after this. Um, <laughs> Marion grew up in Delaware in the 80s. This was one of my favorite albums, and Brothers in Arms is my favorite track by far. Uh, I was and currently am a huge fan of the TV show Miami Vice, and this song featured in the end sequence of the episode, Out Where the Buses Don't Run. One of my all-time favorite sequences. She has sent us a link, which I will post uh, at some stage during this week, hopefully if I remember, writing myself a note. Let's just roll with that. Um, The camera work, lighting, etc. were all great, but Brothers in Arms elevates it to another level. I highly recommend giving the entire episode a watch. Obviously, it's a bit outdated. Solid episode. Don't read a synopsis ever. Um, and that is her, uh, mostly her email. And then she's they've signed it off as Shield Wolf. Thank oh, you, Shield Wolf. Thank you so much, Shield Wolf. Uh, and that is the bag. Oh, also, she says, P.S. I know Matt is a Saint supporter. Also, same. Same. Did we talk about? Already that Nathan Burke, legendary number three of St. Kilda, has just had his daughter recruited as the one of the earliest father-daughter rules. Also, is going to be playing AFLW as number three for St. Kilda. Very excited. May have, very excited. May have dropped a tear or two because I was very uh, emotional. Uh, that's yeah, that's going to be so good. I was very excited. Even though so Berkey, Berkey works. Doesn't Berkey we don't, coach we don't, the no, dogs? Sh- 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 we don't okay. About- we don't talk so, about <clears throat> just like Robert Harvey works for a company. Works company works for a. Uh, <clears throat> You're club. such a corporate shill. Thinking of clubs as companies. I know. However, did so, I get to that brain set? You're such idea? a business person, aren't you? Always yes. making deals, shaking hands. I like to play golf meetings. on a Thursday at lunch. With hey, me too. <laughs> Does that make me a businessman? Yes, that is. Sick. Is that not? Is that not business? No? Okay. Sure. Cool, cool, Not cool. on the courses I play. No. <laughs> I think when people picture golf, they picture like nice places. Or is, it is that not yeah, like is that not smacking golf? along piles of dirt like where I play, but I uh attempted golf once this year at a place called Lockhart in New South Wales. If everyone could jump onto Google Maps satellite, my favorite website actually ever, and look up the Lockhart Golf Club. Um it's mostly red dirt, overgrown pine trees, and yeah, that's it. Uh, and okay. playing golf on that is near impossible for someone who dead set cannot play golf anyway. But anyway, 
Uh, Marion. We are real bad at uh, sticking to sh- a topic. How do we to- get to- Topic? Topic? How do we get to golf? How do we get to Lockhart, New South Wales? I don't um, know. What Shield a journey. Wolf, Shield Wolf uh, uh, says, I know Matt is a Saints supporter, and I happen to be watching the Saints beat the Giants. It's three-quarter time. Hope the score holds. I am a Geelong member slash supporter, but I have a soft spot. Spot for the Saints because of Mr. Stewart. Are we playing Geelong this week? Next week? No. Geelong played last night at yeah, the time lost. of recording. They lost though. But they're, they have the double chance. They're still alive. We're oh, going to do or die win, clash tomorrow. If we win against Bulldogs tomorrow, are we playing Geelong? No. Oh. We will play the loser of Richmond and, and Brisbane. But Fuck. I'm not thinking that far ahead. No. We're just happy That's to right. be here. Well, think about this. We beat, we flogged Richmond earlier this year. Did we? Uh, and we only just lost to the Lions by two points. I am a bad St. Kilda men supporter. I know I'm- you are. I've known you a long time. I know you're a bad St. Kilda supporter. <laughs> All over here from realistic. you is complaining about losses. Realistic. No, you're not realistic. You're a nego. You're a big nego. <laughs> <laughs> what did you call me? Um, no, that's Support, that's, support that's the boys. I bought a membership. Does that count? That's, pretty, that's something for sure. I, bought, I think that I bought, definitely gives one. you more ability to whinge. Yeah. But, but anyway, let's just be excited. We made it to the finals first time in nine years. Yeah. Whatever the result is, it's been a successful year, and hopefully we can build on it next year. Yay. Please. And some people are going to be listening to this knowing that we've either won or lost. Yep. And some people are going to be going, listening oh, to this oh, being they'll like- they'll be happy or they'll be going, oh. Yeah. Or they'll be listening guys. to this being like, this has absolutely fucking nothing to do with the clash. Why am I still listening? There'll be some people who've turned it off. Yeah. That's accurate. And to those people, goodbye. Well, they, they're not listening. They're oh, not yeah. listening, Sam. Fuck. So. There's uh, no point really giving them a message. What are we talking about? Thanks on. so much, <laughs> Shield Wolf. Shield Wolf, Go thank Saints. you. Appreciate that. And hopefully, hopefully the cat's still all right. I mean, you've yeah. done all right for a long time. It's almost boring. Bastards. So yep. you might. I imagine <clears throat> Geelong fans are kind of like, yeah, I guess we're playing finals again. Who cares? Yeah. Oh, oh, we won three premierships within the last, mm. what, 13 years or less? I feel like it's been more and shorter, but maybe that's just me crying about it. I don't know. I don't know. 1966 was a little while ago. I don't remember it personally. Um, You know, I wasn't born yet, so which is probably why, but that's cool. Yeah, it could have been it. Could have been uh, it. Do we anyway, have anything else apart from... <laughs> Yay. No, that's all we do. Um, I'll that, tell people yes. if they want to know what the next album is going to be yes and uh but yeah until then goodbye astrid goodbye This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Hey, Sam. Um, this is the end of the episode bit where we tell everyone what the next album's going to be. I'll Are tell we... you what it actually is off the pod, okay? But I'm going to give everyone listening a clue. Or you Are can, we... you can just Avengers? get the clue as well. Are we well. still being Avengers? No, I don't think. I think we, oh, we lost that. Go months ago. Samuel yeah. Jackson left us. Yeah.
So the opening lyric on the album we're going to talk about next, remembering it's a 1980s album, Mm -hmm. and I don't think there'll be another album that has this opening line anyway. Interesting. (laughs) But the opening line is, belligerent ghouls run Manchester schools. Interesting. Belligerent ghouls run Manchester schools. Well, put it in Google right now and you'll see. How do you spell belligerent? Uh, I feel like it's got a U. All right, well, let's end the podcast here and we can do that in in our own time. Good one. Laters. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.